When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by The Devil's Thief uh, by Simon and Schuster Children's Publishing. In this spellbinding sequel to the New York Times best-selling The Last Magician, Esta and Hart set off on a cross-country chase through time to steal back the elemental stones they need to save the future of magic. As past and future collide, time is running out to rewrite history, even for a time-traveling thief. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 36, and we're recording on October 5th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot as usual. And today we're talking about witches, which is super exciting. Hooray! (laughs) We've had this on the agenda just forever as a possible theme, and I'm glad we finally pulled the trigger. I know, and it, it's like the right time, too, mm-hmm, because we're mm-hmm. all thinking about Halloween. Um, and speaking of Halloween, I just wanted to remind everybody, we talked about this last time um, on the last episode, but just a reminder that we're having an SFF yeah book club on Halloween. So if you want to join in and listen uh, to that, it's we're going to be talking about Rosewater by Tate Thompson. Uh- Tade Thompson, sorry. Tade Thompson. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Tade Thompson. So definitely pick up that book um, if you want to follow along. And again, that's on Halloween. And also, I'm going to be talking about our wonderful TBR, which everybody has been super excited about and which is doing been doing fantastically. Um, so TBR is Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. So if you want to find out more about TBR and if you want to sign up, you can go to mytbr.co to sign up today. And again, that's mytbr.co. All right. Shall I do our first sponsor and then we'll start talking some news? Yeah, let's do it. So our sponsor is His Fair Assassin Trilogy, uh, and this is sponsored by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. They take place in 15th century France. The convent of St. Mortain provides sanctuary to girls seeking refuge from the cruelty of the outside world. But sanctuary comes at a price, and each of the death's handmaids pay it in blood. Grave Mercy, Dark Triumph, and Mortal Heart make up the New York Times bestselling His Fair Assassin's Trilogy, where romance, magic, and political intrigue collide. Fans of Marie Lou's The Young Elites and Kirsten White's And I Darken will love this seductive dark fantasy collection. I have read all of these books and they are so much fun. Um, It's very like medieval girls 
each with a special talent getting revenge on some Ooh. particularly crappy men. Um, there's like poison and there's stabbing and there's bows and arrows and there's a really intense supernatural love story towards the end of the, the series. They're just, they are, they're real riot. They're real fun. So yeah, definitely recommend. So that's the His Fair Assassins trilogy. Um, all three of them are out now. And again, this was sponsored by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Thank you so much. Super exciting. I have to pick it up. I like revenge stories. Yes. (laughs) So do you want to pick our first story? Oh, sure. Um, I want to talk about how Amazon is personally attacking me with their fantasy lineup. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So Amazon is like on a fantasy kick. Obviously, they are doing the Good Omens series, um, which is the Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett book, um, which I ha- I love that. I love that story. And now they have ordered the uh, Wheel of Time to series. Um, it, like The Wheel of Time show has been in the works for forever, and it's finally happening, and it's happening on Amazon. And it looks like, according to the information that was released, the first series will follow or first season rather will follow Moiraine who as you know if you've read the story is amazing she is one of the members of the all-female Aes Sedai which are like witchy speaking of witches they're sort of witchy ladies they have magic powers um and she is on a mission at the beginning of the series to find three young men who she believes are players in a in a very important and age-old prophecy um and Oh, I just don't even know. Oh, like no. they're gonna break me. They're they're like trying, actively trying to break me. It feels like um, because there's a lot of different ways you could enter the Wheel of Time as a series for a show. Like there, it's an ensemble cast in the books. There are so many characters, and honestly, I would have expected the series to start with Rand Althor, who is one of the three young men um, at the beginning, but. By choosing to go with Moraine, they have made it, uh, theoretically, they have made it that much more interesting to me. And now I'm just going to, I don't know what to do. Um, Speaking of things that Amazon is doing, they have also signed a huge deal with Neil Gaiman. Not for any particular thing, just like overall, he has a television deal at Amazon Studios. Yeah, so... They're doing it. Like, they are doing the fantasy thing. I know. What are you going to do? I don't know. I, I genuinely do not know. I don't know. I have That's no going to be difficult. I and mean, I feel – oh, go on. I was just going to say, especially in a week like the week we've just had, which includes news about them, like they've raised minimum wage for their yeah. workers, but they've slashed bonuses and incentive pays. And like they remain terrible in a lot of ways. And I – I mean, no – Studio is without fault, certainly, but when you tie it to, like, this mega corporation that's out to destroy lots of small businesses around the country um, and has terrible labor practices, like, I just, I just don't, I just don't know. Luckily, you know, the the thing that's lucky about this is there is so much good TV out there. Like, I don't get to the stuff I want to watch now. So probably this is a non-problem because I just don't have enough time. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. What do you think about this? I have not read the Wheel of Time series, so I'm sort of like, I've been seeing it everywhere because of this news Mm -hmm. for the first time, and 
So in my head, I've got like the brainwashing of I've got to go read this series. I've got to go read this series because I see it everywhere. Um, so I am not personally invested as much, which is kind of, I guess this is my lucky break in terms of like Amazon, but it sounds like it's going to be a big thing and everything that Amazon has been doing has sounded big. Like I was just talking about, um, the, what was it? The three body problem Mm -hmm. series. They were the rumors of like the billion dollar ticket for the three body uh, problem series. And we've talked about that before. And it just seems like they do, they do go all out with their, their fantasy. And I, I expect this to be a big, huge, sprawling, epic series. So I, I, yeah, I will just say to you that knowing your job, I will tell you, you do not need to read the Wheel of Time series. It's like okay. 17 <laughs> books long. It might, that might not be the exact right number, but it's in the double digits of books. They are all like 500 plus pages long. And the middle books are arguably not that great. Um, I mean, I read, I started reading them as a teenager. And like, if you are a person who has a lot of time and you're super interested and like you have time to get into that long of a series, like I support you but like Sharifa you do not need to read this I will like I will give you the fan version like the rundown if you really want but you do not need to read them okay that's good because I am definitely not the sort of person who has that sort of time oh you my do goodness not. you don't you don't I'd probably be like can I can I take that back everybody I'm not going to read it (laughs) you're not gonna (laughs) all right all right well that's good off the list Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I'm actually really excited because we strangely have like a few witchy Mm -hmm. news stories to go with our theme and the one I want to talk about because I read it recently and it remains like one of my favorite books I've read this year is the Circe Madeline Miller TV series. Mm-hmm. So Circe has been optioned for a TV series and it was very, it was very sweet. Uh, Madeline Miller posted on her Instagram a photo of her like celebrating, I think with her water bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She was celebrating that it was optioned for a TV series. And to be quite honest, when I read the book, in my head, even though everything has been uh, getting adapted lately, it didn't occur to me that Circe would be a story that would be so readily adaptable or thought of as something that should be adapted. Um, And I don't know why that is. I don't know why I thought that. But it seems like that's happening and it's really exciting and we actually posted about it and people like a lot of people were super excited about it so we'll see how it goes it's just been optioned so it's not like we have a ton of details about it yet um like a lot of these stories that come out it's like at the very beginning of the process so there's probably going to be a wait on it Um, so I don't know who's going to be cast. We don't know when it's going to be aired or anything like that, but just having the news that this is going to be a thing is really exciting. And I hope that Madeline Miller is kind of, you know, close to the actual production of the TV series because 
I would be so sad if it really diverged from the story. But I'm trying not to, like, you know, keep my hopes up because it's television. What can you do? Well, and this is my question. They're making it a TV series. Is it, but it's like, it's like a 200 something, 300 page book. Like, do you feel like that makes sense having read it? Because I haven't read it yet. I have it, but I haven't read it yet. It's really difficult. They, they're they going to have to add a lot to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely don't think it's going to be a natural adaptation. Like, it is one book, and it's like the, a standard size for a book, and it doesn't get into heavy details about some phases of Circe's life. So I think that, like, my guess is that they're going to fill in a lot of the gaps of time because in terms of time, the story is really big. It's got an epic scope because Cersei lives for a very, very long time. But obviously, we don't get into a lot of those details about, like, all her passing days in the book. So I think that they're really going to have to fill it in. Um, And I can see them, like, hitting all of the points, the important points in the book, but then having to make up for some of those lost details or some of the details that just, you know, weren't necessary to telling the story. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm wondering if they're going to borrow from, you know, mythology because there is already the mythology out there and there are things that there's source materials they could take from to fill in gaps in the story but I just hope that they approach that the right way because Madeline Miller went about telling the story of Cersei in a very specific and feminist way and I just hope they stick to that yeah yeah um let's see while we're talking about shows Netflix is making Narnia shows which is very interesting um it is very sort of vague about what exactly it's going to do. They're going to produce a host of Narnia films and series, like a host of films and series all set in Narnia. But that could mean a lot of different things, right? Like it, it could be that they're, you know, playing with different books from the Chronicles of Narnia. They could be doing side stories. They could be doing new stuff. Like, are they going to just, like, turn, you know, the line, the Witch in the Wardrobe into a season? Or, like, what will they do? Who knows? Um, <laughs> big question marks. And I feel... I feel a couple ways about this. I feel like... I, I mean, I grew up reading these books. Um, I mean, having them read to me, literally, as a kid, and then reading them myself. And I agree with the writer of the piece we're going to link to that they have really not been done well um, as much as I have a fondness for the live-action version of my childhood with the scary beaver, right? Um, <laughs> was but, that the BBC one? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... I don't know. I don't know. I just, I think my reservation is that this is a very white Anglo-Saxon Protestant property from the, from the jump. And I am much more excited about adaptations that are going to do some interesting things and have interesting role options for more inclusive casting and telling new stories. And like, these are not new stories. So, you know, it's like, okay, beloved childhood classic, like gets new life. Cool. But like, 
oh, like I I know that there's not only one book deal in the world, you know, for optioning things, but I just there's so much other stuff out there that could get made that could be potentially more interesting. I don't know. Don't at me. I'm gonna stop talking now. Yeah, no, I agree because this does have the sort of ring of, you know, we know that this franchise is successful. How do we continue to expand Mm -hmm. on the franchise? How can we continue to make money off of these books? So there are definitely adaptations and deals that are very exciting to me and feel like something that's necessary Um, This one just feels like I'm in the same boat. This one feels more like, you know, marketing dollars. Like, how are we going to make some money off of these? Um, And I don't know, though. Like, maybe I am making a lot of assumptions. I don't know who's going to be behind it, really. And if there's going to be some – if they're going to make some changes to the story or if they're going to try to make it more diverse. Because since it is so broad, them talking about, like, the world of Narnia. Right, right. Maybe they'll try to be a little creative about how they approach this. But, um, yeah, this is another – it is a question mark. We'll have to see what they actually end up doing with this. But, you know, it's a beloved story. Mm -hmm. Lots of people love it. Lots of people love those movies. Um, I love the weird, terrifying animated version (laughs) of The Lion Witch. (laughs) I literally had nightmares <laughs> about the story, um, but yeah, we all have our thing. Yeah, we do. We do. All right. Um, do we have time for one more? I think one more. Because I want to talk about the chilling adventures of Sabrina trailer. Yes. Oh and this my is a God. short one. Because I'm not going to describe the whole trailer no. to you. <laughs> but I really... I had no expectations for this. I used to read, you know, the regular Sabrina comics when I got my Archie Digest at the grocery store as a kid. Mm. And that was like the extent of it. But, you know, I like the idea of Sabrina. I haven't read The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the graphic novel. Um, and I, But I've heard that people are saying that based on the trailer, it looks like they're sticking to the story or they're doing a good job of staying close to the story. So now I really want to get the that book because the trailer looks so good and so dark and creepy. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally, like for me at least, it's a totally different look at Sabrina and I can't wait. It kind of has like an American horror story feel about it Mm -hmm. um, when I was watching the trailer. So I'm just, this is just me like Muppet arms about this trailer and I believe it, it actually airs around Halloween. I just had the trailer playing on silent in the background. (laughs) Oh, October 26th. There it is. I can't wait. Yeah, what about you? <laughs> same. It looks amazing. It looks, and I didn't read the original Sabrina comics, um, or quite frankly, watch the show. Like I've seen episodes, but I was never. That's right. I just never watched all of it. Um, and so I, I am coming from a place of like minimal exposure to the character, but everything I've seen. From the casting to the, like, staging, like, then the music choices and everything I've seen in these trailers, I am here for it. I'm here for it. Um, So, yeah, I'm also very excited about it. Mm -hmm. 
We'll have to talk about it when we, we actually will. Watch it. We should have like a little <laughs> a little watch um, party or something yeah. from across the country. <laughs> I'll bring the popcorn. Excellent, excellent. And eat into the microphone because <laughs> everybody loves that. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so before we actually talk about all the fantastic witchy stuff we want to talk about, I'm going to tell you about our our next sponsor, which is In the Nightwood. So we're sponsored by In the Nightwood by Dale Bailey. This is published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And so welcome to Dale Bailey's In the Nightwood, where fairy tales are not just for kids. Totally agreed. In this contemporary spellbinding fantasy, the grieving biographer of a Victorian fantasist finds himself slipping inexorably into the supernatural world that consumed his subject. Best-selling author Karen Joy Fowler praises In the Nightwood, claiming every story is a ghost story, but not every ghost story is as haunting as this one, nor as luminously written, literate, absorbing, transporting, and all-around excellent. I couldn't put it down. Well, that's a really good blurb. Congratulations to Dale Bailey. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much. Dale Bailey has, by the way, received numerous awards and praise for his short fiction and is well known in the science fiction and fantasy world because of it. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, check out In the Nightwood by Dale Bailey, again published by HMH. All right. Witches. Witches. Are we talking, do you want to talk about, oh no, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about our book picks first. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to kick it off talking about my science fiction pick. I went on a ridiculous quest to try and find (laughs) some science fiction book. I was about to come on here and recommend something from the 60s. This is how bad it got. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, I'm going to really have to like, read it for problematic business and then I remembered All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders which we have talked about before Mm -hmm. but I'm still talking about it uh, because it's a fantastic book so this is science fantasy um, as you might know from our previous episodes and yeah it's a fantastic book because it has both elements of you've got your witchy magic stuff and then you've got your science fiction techno element. So the witch in the story, Patricia Delphine, is of the naturalist strain of witchy. So you get the fantasy almost, you know, not quite fairy tale. She talks to animals, so I always think of fairy tales when I think of that. But she's got some animal communication happening and some shape-shifting. And then on the science side, you get Lawrence, who's this techie who builds this supercomputer. So there's your sci-fi. And then the story is set around these two polar opposites. So Patricia and Lawrence are not at all alike if they were, you know, two people just meeting they wouldn't have much to talk about, but they end up pulled together by the trials of school, of junior high school, and their status as outsiders. They're both kind of weird. Um, They don't really get along with other people. Neither of them fit in, and both of them kind of take comfort in their individual talents. Like, that's what they have. So then one day, they receive this ominous portent of the future, 
And life being life, they take this omen, they put it in the back of their minds and they move on with their lives and they go their separate ways. And then years later, and this is where the story really picks up, Patricia and Lawrence are grown. They're leading very different lives, very fascinating lives, as you might imagine for two characters like this. But then their paths cross again in San Francisco and that half-forgotten omen returns as they take these very different views of the world and different philosophies into a battle to save the world. And the book is just so dang hip. Like, it's so hip and it's so fun. And it has this really great sense of humor. And it also has, like, secret societies and curses and assassin-type characters along with the magic and science we all love. And when I picked it up and I started reading, it felt like one of those rare total package books where I was getting everything I wanted in one read. And of course, Patricia was my favorite character <laughs> in the book. <laughs> she keeps it real, even uh, as a magically gifted individual. And, you know, that's kind of what I love about a good contemporary speculative work. You have these characters and these settings that are kind of familiar, like you feel like you might be, you might meet somebody like this on the street. And, you know, you might recognize some of the familiar parts of San Francisco, if you've ever visited San Francisco. And so the magic and the strange science then feel real. And that's what I got when I was reading this book. And then along with Patricia and Lawrence, there are other characters in the book who have big personalities and who have really interesting lives. And even some of the minor characters seem like larger than life. Like the characters are just really well written. And I, I just loved reading about everybody. And I thought it was just so much fun. And of course, the dynamics between Patricia and Lawrence were part of what kept me turning the page as well. I had to know what would become of their relationship and whether things would play out as predicted, who would come out on top in the battle of science versus magic. So the setup was really successful. And I felt like I kind of should have been wearing a Team Magic shirt while I was reading. <laughs> I'd totally buy that shirt. <laughs> Just saying. Would also wear. Yeah. So this is not part of a series for those of you who kind of want to pick up a book that you can just read in one go. Um, so if you're looking for a good stand a standalone novel with witches and science, this might be a good fit for you. But if you do enjoy this book and you want more, Charlie Jane Anders has a new book out, Rock Manning Goes for Broke. It's a completely different story, um, different tone, but the same excellent writer. And Charlie Jane Anders is one of those writers where I'm like, I want to read everything. Um, so like all the birds in the sky, it sounds like it's really fun and has a great sense of humor, but I have been talking about all the birds in the sky. And again, that's by Charlie Jane Anders. I also fell down. I was like, sh uh, like a rabbit hole. Like should there surely yeah. are science witches somewhere. So. <laughs> science witches. So, and, and they're really hard to find if they exist at all. I did not succeed really um so if you're listening and you know of some science <laughs> yes. witches by which i mean like sci-fi techie witch combo please or do robot witches yeah oh robot witches would be amazing like email <laughs> us it's sff yeah at bookriot.com i want to read those books in the mean 
meantime, the closest I got is a book that I'm really delighted that I found. Um, I was, I think I was complaining in the contributor slack for Book Riot about, <laughs> and somebody suggested The Witches of New York by Amy McKay. And boy, do I love this book. Um, it is uh, historical fiction set in 1880 in like Gilded Age New York. And it opens with a young woman named Beatrice Dunn, who is very scientifically minded. Um, She's been raised by her aunt. She's an orphan. And she's been raised to think for herself and be sort of an independent young woman. And she has been, she reads journals like Scientific American. And she thinks, you know, thoughtfully. And she collects clippings about different things. Um... And one of the things that's going on at this time period in New York is lots of talk about witches and witchcraft and superstition and table wrapping and whatever. Um, And so she starts getting really fascinated with that. And she decides that what she needs to learn is whether or not magic is real. Um, And so she sees an ad in the paper. Um, She lives outside of New York. Um, But she sees an ad in the paper for a tea shop uh, called Tea and Sympathy in New York City that is looking for an assistant and it says like must be open to magic. Um, and she's like, aha, perfect. I will go, I will get myself hired and I will find out if magic is real. So she goes to Manhattan and that is sort of the entry into the lives of Adelaide and Eleanor who run Tea and Sympathy. Adelaide is a former like circus performer, soothsayer, um, who reads cards and like definitely has a talent, but sort of masks it with just like, you know, the circus performer skills and then Eleanor who is like a total like was raised by her mother who was a a, like basically a witch um but Eleanor is also a former medical student. Um, and so they all have these sort of very grounded real world backgrounds, but also magic. Um, and I will say that this book comes with a trigger warning for violence against women. Um, there is a deranged preacher on the loose in New York who is being sort of prodded by a demon, but is really terrible all by himself, um, who is determined to root out you know, witchcraft and begins kidnapping young women that he suspects of having powers so that he can drive the devil out of them. It's real bad. Um, but uh, so the book is like this combination of these young, this young woman like seeking her fortune in the big city plus magic. You've got this beautiful friendship between Adelaide and Eleanor. Um, Eleanor is uh, queer and so you get these great love stories um, for, for several characters get love stories. Um, and then you have them you know up against this horrible villain villainous um, preacher who is determined to, you know, quote unquote, save New York from the scourges of witchcraft. So it's a really epic sort of read. I thought it was so immersive. The history angle felt very well researched. I've read a decent amount of Gilded Age New York stuff. And um, she talks a little bit in her postscript, the author does, about the research that she did. Um, A lot of the plot hinges around an actual real-life obelisk that's in Central Park um, called Cleopatra's Needle. And it follows, like, you know, the the journey of that obelisk as it came to New York, all of which is, like, that's all based on real history. So now I'm I'm like, oh, I wish I had read this book when I still lived in New York City. Now the next time I go to NYC, I'm going to have to go to the park to stand by the needle and think about, like, it in the context of this book. So, again, that's The Witches of New York by Amy McKay. 
I've had that book on my shelf since it came out. I really? really need to read it. I somehow hadn't heard of it at all. I don't know how I missed it. I'd never seen it before. I got recommended by the contributor and then like, lo and behold, I loved it. That's so awesome. I love it when that happens. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm taking kind of a de- – well, it's not that much of a detour. It's a backlist pull uh, because I was trying to think of a a fantasy book or a book that fit in fantasy that I hadn't already talked about. And it turned <laughs> out to be a lot harder than I expected. <laughs> I feel like I made – I shoehorn witches into like everything. <laughs> but <laughs> then I remembered Bless Me Ultima by Rodolfo Anaya – which is probably the only assigned book I actually enjoyed reading in college. Mm. Um, And I was an English major, so that says a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I came across this one in a Chicano studies class, and I was completely swept away. This is a classic. It was published in 1972. So again, very backlist. Um, But if you haven't read it, you've probably heard of it, I think. And if you love magical realism or fabulism, you will probably want to look this book up at the very least. The story actually takes place in 1940s New Mexico, and Antonio Marazzi Luna is growing up right after World War II. And he's still a child when his family decides to take in this elderly curandera, which is you know, a healer and a spiritualist. She's named Ultima. But in the tradition of great books of magical realism, the magic in this story doesn't only come from Ultima. It's also in the perceptions and the way the story unravels and the way it's narrated. And you get the sense that everything, like from Tony's lineage to the setting itself, is wrapped in this lore. And... I learned a lot about like different types of lore, which was which is always a plus for me. And Tony's father, for instance, is Tony's father's family is described as people of the sea, while his mother's family is described as people of the moon. And you know, it's because of their names, Mares y Luna. But then everything, including names, seems to have hidden power in this story and in this setting. And there's also this theme of predestined conflict. So Tony, as the child of his paternal adventurers and his maternal, very religious homesteaders, is at the center of this conflict and this tension. And his arrival into the world seems to bring about a lot of tumult, and his future is looking really rocky. But then when Ultima arrives and she steps in and decides she'll be Tony's guide to ferry him to smoother shores, things start to change. And, you know, Ultima can make that sort of proclamation because she's seen as a powerful woman and this sort of an ancestral force. But then Tony, on his own, also has to come uh, come into his adulthood and out of his childhood. And he has this really powerful and disturbing experience that sets his coming of age in motion and he starts to question his faith and he tries to sort out what he's been told, what he feels and believes and where he stands. But then there's this constant tension between the two sides of his family. And while Tony is trying to make his way out of childhood with as little scarring as possible, Ultima comes under fire for witchcraft. So while that's happening, Tony falls deathly ill. So it's very much like what more could possibly happen in this poor child's life? 
Um, and everything kind of comes to a heads. And I didn't know this book is just so beautiful. And it definitely made me want to visit New Mexico. But it was just really heartfelt and really bittersweet, the story about a child's coming of age at this very particular time in this very particular setting. And I really love the relationship between Ultima and Tony. And of course, there's also some seasonally creepy stuff in this book. Like you get a story about La Llorona, which is the weeping woman. So just think of like a banshee or a wraith. And parents would say La Llorona steals children who are disobedient. So it's that kind of, you know, figure. And the story in here really terrified me. And I was like in my 20s. So... (laughs) Things scare me still. Um, But then Ultima also has this owl companion. It's just really great. Like there are so many components of the story that are amazing. And on one hand, it's very like it has these very realistic themes and these very real events are happening in Tony's life. But then you've also got these magical elements that just make the story that much more special and Ultima is like one of my all-time favorite characters. Um, so yeah, witchy story based in reality. I really love this book and I kind of want more people to read it. And again, that was Bless Me Ultima by Rudolfo Anaya. Yeah, it's so hard to pick for fantasy because there are so many good ones. Although we it's have tough. also talked about a lot of them. Um, I'm leaving a link in the show notes for a 100 must-read books about witches that we published on the site last year that's super good and has a lot of great stuff in it that I totally could have picked. But um, I'm picking one of, also a backlist and one that I feel like not that many people have read. And I think it's so freaking good. So any, I can't believe, I actually kind of can't believe I haven't talked about on this show before um it's mama day by gloria naylor and i am obsessed with it it is also sort of a very rooted in real life witch story um but this one takes place on the fictional island of willow springs which is sort of right like on the border the like um it's an island so it's right on the water border the maritime border i don't know how to say that um (laughs) between georgia and south carolina so like technically it's it's not part of either state, um, and it's actually entirely owned by one family, um, a black family, uh, who are descended from slaves who used to work a plantation on the island. And um, you meet uh, Mama Day, who is the titular character. Um, she and her sister Abigail have lived there their whole lives, and they're like, you know, like a real cranky pair of like sisters old aging (laughs) sisters like I love I love I love that um and then their granddaughter Coco who is uh living in New York she's in her 20s she comes home once a year to see her you know great aunts um and her grandmother um and she is having a pretty classic New Yorker experience it's hard to find work and then also it's real hard to find a guy to date and she does want to find somebody to spend her life with. Um, And she's actually out on a job interview when she meets George and they end up falling in love, not working together. Um, And she brings him home uh, one summer to Willow Springs to meet her grandmother and great aunt. And this book, y'all, The ending just broke my heart. It is a real tearjerker of a book. Like, it it just... 
is so amazing. Um, and you go back and forth in time in the story. You see it's like this multi-generational family story because not only do you get Mama Day and Abigail's stories of when they were children and you get Coco, um, but then it goes even further back to the sort of, you know, family lore around how their family came to own the land. Um, and you also get to see all of the real quirky inhabitants of the island and then there are like Mama Day is you know has sort of a reputation for being an herbalist and a woman who can work magic um, both good and bad um, if you go and ask and you know pay the right fee Um, and are willing to do what it takes and so yeah there's spells and there's you know curses and there's people working bad mojo against each other and and there's all of this history um and it's just it's just so good it's so atmospheric the characters are so beautifully rendered it's so vivid and yeah like five alarms not bomb have tissues on hand um and the it goes that the like sort of commentary around the book is that it was inspired by the tempest by Shakespeare, which I can kind of see actually. Yeah. Which I think is super interesting, but it does like very different things. Um, but yeah, it's just an amazing book. It's an amazing book. So if you love multi-generational family stories, if you love women's stories, and especially if you love this meeting of like the old traditions with modern life, like it is a must read. Uh, so again, that is mama day by Gloria Naylor. That sounds amazing. Oh, it's so... I, th- I think, Sharifa, you would love it. I really do think I you just would. saw Rincey posting, like, quotes from oh, that really? book. And I was, it was so random. And when I saw you choose it, I was like, is it like having a resurgence? <laughs> I need to read it. I've, re- I've reviewed it. I want to say like a year ago in the Swords and Spaceships newsletter. Like it's been a it's been a while. I think I I think maybe I originally read it for a get booked question a while back. Like I don't even know. But every now and then I remember that I haven't talked about it in a while, and I'm like, hey hey, let's talk about it. everybody. <laughs> let's talk about Mama J. Like it's so good. It's so good. Oh gosh, I I'm gonna get my hands on it. Yeah. Um, so we decided to do a bonus round. Yeah. We, I was like, what if we also talked about our favorite witchy movie? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go first? Yeah. Um, and this is like, this was not difficult at all because <laughs> I watched this movie, Practical Magic, every single year, probably more than once um, around this time. And also I'm really cheesy and I turn on the soundtrack all the time. Oh, nice. Like I will listen to this soundtrack no matter what time of year it is because I love Stevie Nicks and I also just love this story. And this is like, this is an adaptation. So it's pretty appropriate <laughs> um an adaptation of alice hoffman's practical magic and it's the story of the owens family who are cursed and this book um and this movie is centered around the two sisters uh jillian and oh wow did i forget her name no jillian and I totally forgot her name. I did too. How did we both forget? I just Sally. 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 <laughs> Jillian and Sally, who are very different, and they live in this small town, and everybody kind of their lifestyle and their 
entire family is taboo because they're all known witches and they have an entire history in this small town. And I just recently read the prequel to Practical Magic, uh, which I think came out last year, which tells the story of the aunts in the movie and the book, Francis and Jets. And I tend to be suspicious of prequels, but this one was so satisfying and it is such a perfect fall read. And it just like it it made the story of practical magic even bigger and better for me. So this was one of those times where I was like, okay, I love the prequel. And the movie just gives me all the feels because it's about sisters and I have a sister. And I think when I first watched this, I watched it with my sister and my mom, like the OG coven. And I I made them watch it like 20 more times after that. So I don't know. This just, this movie just gives me all of my fall feelings, all of my Halloween feelings, especially with the ending. Um, I feel like everybody has watched it, but I'm not going to tell you what the ending is in case you haven't. But it's just cute. It's sweet and wonderful. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was practical magic. What about you, Jen? Um, it is obviously Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Which I was trying to remember the first time I ever watched it. I must have been in my teens, I think, but it could have been college. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but if you haven't seen it, Hocus Pocus is set in this like New England town that has a tradition of the Sanderson sisters who were like back during all the witch trials were hanged for being witches and were actually witches um, and who left a curse behind that if somebody lit the black flame candle on All Hallows Eve they would return Um, and then it cuts to like modern day 90s and it's such a 90s movie y'all like it's It's so it's the most 90s um, where like a new family moves into town they're from California and the son is like very like outsider don't fit in here Halloween is stupid um, and he lights the black flame candle and hijinks ensue but the Sanderson sisters are played by Bette Midler Kathy Najimy and Sarah Jessica Parker and like watching Bette Midler chew the scenery in that movie is just the best it's so good I mean the three of them together have amazing comedic chemistry um, and then there's Binks the talking cat Binks. Yay! I feelings. love a talking cat. Yeah, and um, Thora Birch is the little sister. It's like very baby Thora Birch. Um, <laughs> it's just, it is. It's the most 90s and it's just, I just find it so delightful. It's so meta. It's really ridiculous. It's just the most fun. I just think it's incredibly fun. And that's like, yeah, like next to the craft and practical magic, like that's sort of the triumvirate of, you know, witchy movies I watched growing up. Um, and I think yeah. just in terms of sheer enjoyability, Hocus Pocus has to win. Um, and it is not based on a book, but Disney has made a book. Like there's a sequel now, a book sequel to Hocus Pocus. I will leave a link in the show notes. It's called Hocus Pocus and the all new sequel. Super original <laughs> title there. Uh, it's so ridiculous. But yeah, so books exist for this property now. I haven't read it yet, but it's definitely on my, like, will acquire this if and when I remember list. So, yeah. <laughs> so much fun. I can't wait. Have you watched it yet? Have you watched no, any of No, every your, year I have a little watch party. Um, For the past few years, I have a party where I, like, make snacks and invite people over. And Aww, sometimes so more people p- take me up on it than others. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I just love it. I made a friend watch it for the first time. She'd never seen it before. And a couple of years ago, I like watched it with her. And she was just like, I'm not sure I get it. And I was like, do oh, you no. just do you just hate fun? Like, what, what, what is it that <laughs> you're not getting? Like, I don't understand what there oh is gosh, not to so get. Um, but anyway, that's my hocus pocus love. That's so fun. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about witches. Mm-hmm. And that's it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can, of course, email us. We would love to hear about your witchy reads and things. And please do let us know if you know of a witchy science fiction book. We will be shocked and awed mm-hmm. and totally impressed. Um, so you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please, if you have a chance, do review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people to find us. And you can also find us online. I am on Instagram at Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you, Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. And that's Jen with two N's, I-R-L. And until next time, happy reading and happy future Halloween. Yes, happy reading, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.